Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, February 29th. Happy Leap Day, of course, to all of you listeners. Now, it may be an additional day on the 2024 calendar, but we tennis fans know it's just another day in the pro tennis world. A day, of course, that sees five tour-level events in action. I do want to offer all of you listeners an update on the results we've seen unfold because certainly there are some intrigue surrounding them. That's said, our tour-level events are not going to be the focus of this episode. I am hoping to be back on this podcast later today to record an update on everything that's unfolded in the pro tennis world this week. The only reason I won't be able to do that is because I am feeling a bit under a weather. the weather. Excuse me. Maybe you can hear it in my voice. I just think all the traveling that we've done of late is starting to catch up to me. And given we have some more traveling on the horizon, I will be trying to rest up over the course of the next few days. That said, I'm feeling fine right now, certainly well enough to offer an update that I feel compelled to offer to all of you listeners on what has been, again, a very exciting week in the pro tennis world. That said, the on-court results aren't the only news being made in the pro tennis world this week. We had a significant announcement come on Wednesday as we learned that the Saudi Arabia Public Investment Fund will be formally investing in the ATP tour moving forward. There are massive implications of the announcement of this deal. Now, it was certainly something we might have felt was coming on the horizon, given the flirtations between both the ATP and the WTA and the PIF over the last 12 months. Certainly, you saw the investment into golf, into F1, into other similar type sports. Something like this may have felt like it was on the horizon. But again, now the deal has been formalized. And what are the implications of this deal? What does an investment of $100 million over five years, as is being reported, mean for the ATP Tour? What can fans expect in terms of changes moving forward as well? You don't invest $100 million into something without expecting some sort of return moving forward. And while wondering what that return might be is very speculative at this point, this is a significant moment in professional tennis, a moment worth thorough exploration. And I could think of no better person to help me explore this topic in depth than the guest joining me on today's podcast. He's a returning champion, writer, author, guest extraordinaire. My dear friend, Ben Rothenberg, joins me on the show today to break down this very topic. Now, couldn't help ourselves at the start. There was always going to be a tangent. That's just whatever happens when Ben and I share the mic. We really enjoy one another. And eventually, we get off talking about things that we didn't intend to. I like to think that's what makes him an outstanding guest, but we do start off the show with some thoughts on some storylines or things that have been lingering in Ben's mind to start this 2024 season. Then we get into the juice and again, about 30 minutes on what this investment into the ATP tour might mean moving forward. It is a fantastic conversation that I am certain all of you listeners are going to enjoy. And again, I know it's not talking about this week's results, I'm hoping I will feel better after a midday nap, hoping to be back later this evening to offer you an update on everything that's unfolded on court this week. But again, a massive piece of off-court news certainly feels worthy of a deep dive here on this show. And again, no better person to do that with than with our dear guest, Ben Rothenberg. Before we get to him, a shout out, as always, to all of you listeners for tuning in day in, day out. A shout out to the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point for the latest and greatest equipment at the best prices, tennis-point.com. 
The promo code is CR15. Of course, your other friendly reminder, we've got a lot of fun broadcasts on the horizon. Friday, Sunday this week, we'll have ACC, SEC, and Big 12 college tennis coverage available on ESPN+. We'll also have Big 10 coverage available on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel on Sunday getting into the meat of the 2024 college tennis schedule. And if you want to learn why we are so enthusiastic about that level of the sport, this is the weekend to dive headfirst into our coverage. Again, a lot of good college tennis available pretty much all day, Friday, Sunday on ESPN Plus, Sunday on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel as well. With all of that said, though, let's get to it. Talking public investment firm, investment into the ATP tour, and so much more with the one and only Ben Rothenberg. Joining us on the podcast once again today is a returning champion here on our show. A man you all know best as a writer for Slate.com, of course, back in the day for the New York Times as well. Now, of course, though, he's written his first book. It's Naomi Osaka, Her Journey to Finding Her Power and Her Voice. Of course, with that book means you probably have heard him on just about every tennis podcast we have in the business as he has proceeded on his book tour. Thankfully, we get him to pick his brain about some of the latest stories happening and emerging from the tennis world today. Welcome back to the show, my fellow Wolverine, and dare I say, a man I consider a mentor. It's my podcasting big brother, Ben Rothenberg, joining us again. Ben, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? Alex Gretzkin, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm really glad we're here to discuss the news that rocked the tennis world uh, on on Wednesday, which is that the tennis letter is a team of people. (laughs) They revealed? I mean, who knew? The world of ramifications for it. I cannot wait to see what Human Rights Watch has to say about that one. Well, but uh, I, I yeah. actually think it's good to know that it is a team and that it's just not one person awake at all hours of the day because to put up the tweet rate that the tennis letter go, I'll be honest, they're muted from my account because I just I couldn't yeah. handle the rate any longer. But I mean, I guess that's good to know that there is a team. There is some sort of editorial process they all go through. I don't know. I mean, I I, I, I think team is, a, is the word they use. I could use the word conspiracy for this many people. I mean, who knows? Who knows what's happening there? But that was a, a big news. And yes, there's also some news about Saudi Arabia along the way as well. Well, but, in the uh, era of conspiracy theories, a tennis letter related one is the least harmful that we have emerging right now. I'm sad we don't have a Taylor Swift tennis related conspiracy theory. I would get really into that should it emerge someday. I'm trying to think like Berrettini's single. He's Travis Kelsey parallel, I suppose, in terms of looks. Like, should that? I would fail? say, I would, say, I would, I would say he's Italy's Travis Kelsey. I would go that far. <laughs> I would, I would, I would, I think I would say that. Right. So, what does that make Yannick Sinner? They're Tom Brady, Travisimo Kelsini, or something. Yeah, yeah, like. That's actually a really good cop. I don't hate it. There are certainly a plethora of Italian soccer players who are probably the LeBrons or the Tom Bradys of the Italian sporting world. So to throw mm-hmm. Berrettini in that Travis Kelsey slot. It's an accurate parallel. I have no problems with it, and it shows you are in prime podcasting form. It's why it's great to have you here today. Before we get into why I brought you on the show, I do want to do a quick follow-up on the book tour. How's it been, my friend? Talk to me about the reception you've received from callback here, novel number one. Oh, man. Yes, you keep calling it a novel. Those are early days of podcasting the book tour. Yeah, no, it's been good. It's been uh, it's been interesting doing it the first time. It's been fun 
Uh, certainly not jaded from any of it. Have done a couple in-person events uh, at a hometown event in Washington, D.C. Had a lot of people show up, which was great. And Courtney, uh, my, my old podcasting buddy, showed up uh, from uh, to, to come moderate the chat at Politics and Pros, which was great. And then Nick McCarville and did a, a set of a panel for my, about a little bit around the book. And then also had Andrea Pekovic and Leslie Allen, who was the first, a name people should know more, who's the per, first uh, black woman to win a pro tennis tournament, basically, in the 80s when she won the uh, Avon or Virginia Slims event in Detroit. Uh, so Michigan tennis history there. And yes, go blue. Uh, and yeah, it's been it's been fun. I have one more going to the Tucson Festival of Books. So we'll both be in Arizona uh, very soon. And yeah, it's been it's been it's been fun. Uh, hopefully, people read it, enjoyed it. it. I'm supposed to now. I probably now should be like encouraging if you have read it and liked it, you can leave reviews somewhere. That's helpful <laughs> yeah. on Amazon or Goodreads, wherever that may be. Uh, that helps. I'm trying to say that too much in total audiences because there's you know I would just get review bomb from Serbia and I don't need that. Um, <laughs> I have one one star review on Goodreads, and it's from someone who only ever other, otherwise read books in Serbian. So yeah, I think I know good. where that came from. So appreciate the effort <laughs> by by her. But yeah, uh, anyway, let me ask yeah, you thanks. this. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Would it be better for the numbers if you got, we'll say, two hundred unidentified crocodiles to just leave you just the crocodile, alligator, whatever emoji as a book review? Like, would that help you with the algorithm? Because all press is good press. With what if they were like one starring it? As I imagine, they would no. Not have been I, what if it wasn't one star? What if it was five stars, but instead of words, they just use the alligator emoji? No, I, see, I don't. I don't think they're a five star kind of people. I don't see that generosity in the crocodile spirit. I don't see that happening. That's so that's, you can cut any of that you want, but that's a little detour <laughs> into 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 yeah. So anyway, people have read the book. I'm, I'm getting okay. you know people are still reading the book. That's kind of the interesting thing about it. there's this like initial burst of it, and there's this like trickle which can last longer of like people getting around to read the book, reading it. People might read it a year from now. I mean, it's going to kind of live on and have a life of its own, the book, hopefully. And and as Naomi's career uh, continues ebbing and flowing and having ups and downs, you know, there'll be moments, I'm sure, where she'll be uh, more back in the conversation and such, including just Indie Wells, Miami. I mean, she'll be one of the main characters there. So, yeah, we'll see how it goes. But it's been well, it's been a fun ride. I'm happy with it. You speak about one of the main characters in the Sunshine Swing. I do want to ask you because this week here on the mini break is supposed to be about reflecting on some of the things we've learned from the first two months, and no one has had a keener eye on what Naomi Osaka has done through these first two months of the 2024 season than you. I am curious, what have you thought of her level? What have you thought of her forays back into the tennis world? Are you ready to expect you know, grand, not Grand Slam immediately, but do you think that tennis is still within her? Yeah, I actually liked, because I liked what John Wertheim said about it on his show with Andy Roddick, which I feel like has been become very preeminent in tennis podcasting talk. You know, you and David Kane have both plugged that podcast in your last two appearances here on this well, show. I'm just you want to know what I'm cutting? It's f- that. That, I completely <laughs> understand that. I do, I do. I feel, I feel like they're kind of, they're kind of, yeah. I feel like there's, anyway, we can talk about that a little bit later. I feel like, I don't know, there's something with, Anyway, I feel like that was a lot less casual that launch than they made it look. Put yeah, it that way. Fair enough. Um, but but you know, enjoy. I'm gl- very glad Andy brought it. Talking more about tennis thing is a huge sure. thing. John, John Wertheim, I've adored forever. So all of course positive things about that. Uh, but what I was going to say is they talk very briefly about Naomi on that. And what Wertheim said, what I thought was right, was like this is about what it should be. Mm-hmm. You know, like she's not showing up and getting her doors blown off on any level. But nor is she like coming back and winning everything immediately. Like this is like roughly about like where you'd expect it to be. And maybe on the slightly good side of that. I mean, we would look a lot different if she'd gotten a better draw in Australia and hadn't played 
Caroline Garcia, who was peaking that day. That was rough. I mean, especially with the, how that draw worked out in Australia, a lot of other sections of that draw, Naomi could have easily made third, fourth round quarter, something like that, in some of those pockets of the draw. So that would make her year feel a lot different. But she avenges the loss to Garcia and gets another win over Martich and plays two very tough matches against a peaking Pliskova, who's been one of the underrated stories of this year. Pliskova's been very solid. Another player who lost first round Australia to Rubakina. We'd be talking about more. She had a deeper run there. So, yeah, she's, uh, I think she looks okay. I think, you know, she's coming up on two big hardcore tournaments where she's done well before. And then things get trickier as the tour moves away from hardcourts for several months. And so we'll see what she can do on clay and grass. She hasn't played on grass since 2019, which is crazy. <laughs> but yeah, looking forward to, I, I think she's been fine. I think she's been good. I think there's been signs of promise. Still some some rust for sure and in certain parts, some loose errors. You know, she hasn't played in any peak matches yet, but she's been trending up and I think staying positive. It shouldn't be a full 30 for 30, but we should do a three for three when her career is done on the significance of that Kluge-Napoka title run for Pliskova because she had fallen outside the top 70. Like you started to talk a little bit more openly. Oh, I see the finish line retirement maybe after this year. And now it's like, well, you've won a title. You're back in the top 40. You're back in the mix. You're playing good tennis. All of a sudden, life on tour becomes a little bit easier. So I would absolutely echo your Pliskova point there. I just said, we could say this was supposed to be a podcast about Clusion and Poker. I'm glad we're yeah. talking about it. So I would just say also that I think that <laughs> it's destructive to other you. players. It's destructive to other players. It, Naomi a bit, but maybe more specifically Emma Raducanu. Yeah, like, sure. She's played well. You pl- but why aren't you playing down? Why is Emma Raducanu taking sure. wild cards into thousands when she just needs matches and wins? But she's not a top 100 player, I don't think, right now. When, you know, she could go play 250s, especially she's in her not ancestral homeland ranking. of Romania. She's not by ranking. I do think she has played top 100 level as well. This is good. I knew I was going to have a few tangents for you here today before we get into the meat of our story. But yeah, like I I agree with you. Like case in point, look at Anna Kalinskaya, who via injury had fallen down the rankings a little bit. What did she do at the end of October? She goes and plays the Tempico 125, makes the final there. Midland tennis shout out. Of course, she goes and wins Midland the very next week. She's 24 and six since that end of October stretch and confidence at the 125 level, obviously translated to her making a run to the quarters of Australia, obviously finals now in Abu Dhabi or whichever of the Middle East events, not Abu Dhabi, Doha, Dubai, whichever of the ones it was. I agree with you. I think it's a very good point on Radakanu. Just to finish the thread here on the Osaka side of things, I think it's a very fair assessment. Watching her play, it, it resonates a lot with, I'm not, again, I always hesitate to equate my own tennis experiences with any of these players out on the pros, but as someone who used to play every day and now doesn't, like I feel everything she is going through. When it's in rhythm, in form, the ball's in front of her, she still hits the ball like Naomi freaking Osaka. Like The, the key number I would point to, because I know you've missed my stats, she's holding serve 82.5% of the time. That's not good. That's not great. That's f-ing elite. Like, that is right back to where she left off before pregnancy, before obviously stepping away from the tour for mental health reasons, all these different things. Like, when she is in rhythm, when she is landing the first strike, she still has weapons that just make any opponent uncomfortable. The flip side, and this is, again, relates to it very much here, like, the steps are just off. Like, her movement is off. She is not – she was never the fleetest of foot. But she, you know, again, there is still a step, maybe even a step and a half that just has to be made for her to continue to make that progress. 
the return of serve is all over the place. Like she's being very aggressive right now. I think that's a byproduct of she has to be because she's not trying to get in track meets with any of her opponents. But yeah, it's all the little things. It's the first step. It's recovery out of the corner. It's changing direction. It's everything you would expect physically to take a little bit more time to come back. It is taking a little bit more time to come back. And I guess just the question is, can she find that gear once again? Are you still willing to bet on that? And I think my answer is still yes. I mean, why would you rule it out? I mean, like, yeah, why would exactly. you say, no, she can't? Because she's still no like 25. No, like, that's yeah. the big thing. It's not like yeah, she's... Bare, yeah, yeah, just thir- turned 26. Exactly. And, and she's is still, she and really she's 26? Mm-hmm. Wow, we're, we're getting old. She's in 97 now. Yeah, okay. So, no, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But yeah, like... I no, just, yeah, I there's no reason... Like I said, I mean, like, it's not like she's not gone... You know, it's not been a jackpot return of everything going perfectly and looking amazing, a la Kim Kleisters, but Kim Kleisters was a was a fairy tale in a lot of ways. Yeah. Naomi has been, you know, doing doing fine. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think it's footwork and a bit of like reaction time. I think she's been slow to react to balls sometimes so she can kind of get caught up even in not like track me kind of points, but just sort of footwork and reaction points. But that should hopefully come with time and and drills and just lack of match prep, you know? So we'll see how it goes. No, I it's I, be- I, I'm not I'm not pessimistic for sure. I'll say that. I agree. And you mentioned it. This The natural surface swing has always been interesting for Naomi. We'll see how she does there. But certainly Indian Wells, Miami, there will be a spotlight shined on her results. And again, she's striking the ball really well. Indian Wells feels like the perfect surface for her. A little bit more time. She's always had the weapons to hit through any court. Certainly, we will both be keeping an eye on her. Before, again, we get to our topic du jour of the day. Any other tennis stories that have caught your eye that are compelling to you as you look at these first two months players or things you didn't expect to be thinking about? Well, I texted you about this or texted a group we're in about this yesterday, but I'm the level of concern for Tiafo right now is something I'm thinking. It's been it's been bad, man. Ever since that US Open loss to Shelton, it's been bad. And I I just I just wonder how much of a of he needs a restructuring again in the team or what's going on because it's it's not good. I don't know what he is in the race, but it can't be good. Yeah. And 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 he's yeah, just that's that's my other sort of thought, very recent thought of seeing him lose yesterday and just not being surprised that he's losing either. So thank you. Just he's losing all the time. Superficial level, he has made three quarterfinals in five events. So it's like rankings wise, he's holding steady. He'll be okay, but yeah, I mean, f- uh, three of the five events he's played has been 250s. You know, the other one's the Acapulco 500 where he loses round of 16 last night and three to cope for, obviously, the second round loss to Mahak uh, in Australia. Which was Did meek. You- I mean, he got – that match was not close to, to Mahak at all. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's the serve right now. Like, the serve is just out of sorts. And, you know, again, Francis needs to be dictating. He needs to be the aggressor. He wants to be the one imposing his will at the net when the serve's not firing. It's just a little bit more difficult for him to do that. You know, again, I had this conversation with our friend Jeff Sackman yesterday about the Pass backhand. I think you could say the same thing about the Tiafo forehand. Like, you just know how opponents are going to try and play him. You know what the script is going to be and try to disrupt his rhythm and— Look, he's done an excellent job of maximizing his strengths, his serve, trying to develop weapons behind that first serve. But there are still some attackable things in Francis's game. And, I mean, again, I guess it just depends on what you thought his ceiling was moving forward or where you think he should be in the broader ecosystem. Because him sitting in that 
non outside the top eight range. And again, I'm trying to make top eight a thing this year, Ben. I think we've talked about this privately, but I'm out on top ten. I'm in on top eight because nine and ten don't mean jack. Like top okay. eight gets you okay. those gets you that that Turin money. Um mm-hmm. or or that Saudi money, which we'll talk about here in a moment. Um if but, you them six kings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you are ready for t- the king. Yeah, yeah I like go. this. Oh man. Um uh, did you watch? Are you, there's no way you're a last. Why are we doing a tangent on the tangent? Let's, well, let's because you brought here. up the kicks. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> here's the thing: like, if you think Tiafo belongs in this nine to twenty-five range, which like, oh, I that's he, a big range. That's but, a big range. But is it like because we've the parody's a thing now? What's the difference between twenty-four and and Look, and nine on a given day in the world? Francis got into top ten when he won Stuttgart, I think, last yeah. year, right? And he and he. That was a big moment for him. And it just feels you want to think that that's the start of something, not the peak of something okay. and or not the end. And basically, since then, it's been trending down. I really think that loss to Shelton. And I've not talked to Francis at length about this. And I haven't seen it. I haven't been on tour tons lately, but I was in Australia, but he wasn't there very long. I don't know if I talked to him at, at all on Australia this year. Maybe I can't remember. But he, yeah, he kind of was there as, as, as like, you know, minor leaguers just say for a cup of coffee at this point. It was very brief. And then he's been trending way down. I mean, he's won, he's lost 12 of his last 20 matches, I think, when I was looking yesterday. Like, he's yeah. below 500 right now. And for someone who was that recently top 10, that's concerning. And you just wonder, yeah, with the coaching change, not seeming to pay dividends, like, should he get back with Ferreira? What's going on? Like, what's what's the sort of situation there because he had good things going and I I do my read of it just looking at the tennis abstract you know results is that that Shelton loss which we talked about I think we talked did a podcast that night about for NCR maybe was a uh was a real like inflection point you know just sort of like that he took that hard losing kind of kind of no showing for that match in a real way was was tough for him so anyway I'm I'm he's the one person yes was on my mind that's my answer but now I'm ready to talk about. No, it's uh, fascinating. I, again, it's one of my favorite questions always. Who's the best American man? And obviously you come on the show every December to break down American men, American women. And we can do an update on that maybe. A on a more later. positive note I, and, and more braggy note, I feel like there in my – I have to double check the tape. But I believe I had in my top ten who you did not. Mickelson? No. Well, yes. But you, you changed that on Marcos? the fly in the show. Marcos Giron, yeah. exactly, who's really very solidly looking like he's going to be in that top 10 already through February. So I feel good about a Marcos Giron pick. I'm ha- love. happy to be wrong on that one because Marcos is a fantastic human being. And yeah, he's played outstanding tennis to start this 2024 season. Appreciate you indulging me with a little tangent to start. That's just our warm-up act, Ben. I needed to make sure we were both loose as we get into One last bit of nonsense before we okay. get on topic. You why know are why you wearing your Michigan shirt, shirt So this is what I was going to ask, is why is the Michigan shirt on today? Because it's leap day. Ah. On leap day, you have to wear blue and yellow. You, you don't, ah. You're you doing that barely, but you're blue, you just, yellow. a little blue, little yellow on the switch. If you yeah, could you, see you, my you shorts. You barely scrape by. Well, I want to yeah. be clear. I'm pretty sure I'm wearing Michigan shorts um, okay. right now. And so that was unintentional. I didn't know that we were supposed to do that. By the way. I never have an expectation you're wearing any pants on the Zoom. So I appreciate that, <laughs> to be clear. Well, you, you, know, uh, you know my father. Um, and so uh, anyways, all of that said, um, I don't think we've ever had a leap day. Uh, pod in mini break podcast history and we won't have another opportunity for another four years so ben rothenberg again another esteemed spot for you in cracked rackets history um 
that's all of that was not why I wanted to have you on the show today. The reason why I wanted to have you on is to talk about the big news, obviously breaking in the tennis world. And it's been something that's been flirted with and discussed certainly over the course of the last year. I would say as noise has been made in a similar fashion in other sports, but now the relationship has been formalized as it was announced that the ATP Tour and the Saudi Arabia's Public Investment Fund have signed a multi-year strategic partnership. This is from the Reuters readout. The governing body of men's tennis said on Wednesday in a move highlighting the growing influence of the Gulf nation on global sport, the PIF will now become the official naming partner of the men's rankings as well as partner ATP tournaments in Indian Wells, Miami, Madrid, Beijing, the season-ending ATP Finals in Turin, and the next-gen ATP Finals staged in Jeddah. Now, obviously, there's a lot to unpack when an announcement of this nature comes, but I guess the place we have to start, Ben, is this wasn't entirely unexpected, was it? This is news we'd all been bracing for over the past year, your reaction to it becoming formalized. Yeah, it's just kind of formalizing a lot of what's been going on in back rooms and back channels and, and been leaking out of there for, for a while. And actually, <clears throat> excuse me, as much as this is big news, it's also not. Yeah. Because of what you think of what it's replacing, it's replacing Pepperstone. Yes. Did we ever do a podcast about Pepperstone? I don't think we did. No. So naming sponsor of, you know, do you know what Pepperstone is even? I, I assume it's an off-brand of Pepperdine. Hey, exactly. Yeah. yeah, slightly further from the coast, but still lovely, lovely, <laughs> okay. lo- lovely school. Uh, no, it, it's a, it's like an Australia. I actually had to look this up yesterday because I looked it up at the time and it got announced, which is in Rome. I remember being in Rome, looking at Pepperstone once before in my life. Um, but it's like it's like some like kind of crypto or like financial trading okay. platform from Australia. Checks out, sure. Okay, sure. So, but like, but anyway, what I'm saying is, naming sponsor of rankings is actually not that big a deal. Hundred percent. That's what I'm saying. Like, because Pepperstone, like I said, was no one ever used for Pepperstone. I don't think you were saying it on this show very often. You just say rankings, you know, like you can kind of elide over that as as a host uh, to be ignored from those sponsorships. It's not that I don't big. hate calling but, them the PIF rankings moving forward, the public investment fund rankings. Oh, let's go check the PIFs. Well, I mean, the, the, the John Wertheim, which you mentioned again, said the deal is worth $100 million over five years. So it's a nice chunk of change for, yeah. for again, what is not a very big buy-in, it seems like really. It's not like they're buying events at this point they have the the next gen finals which are in Jeddah in Saudi Arabia for a while but nothing nothing too seismic actually happening it's just an infusion of cash and it's the photo which I put up in the press release of the ATP guy sitting next to the public investment fund guy and it's interesting one of the interesting things about this press release which was very carefully crafted I think uh it's they don't mention the word Saudi Arabia until the final paragraph it's just about public investment fund public investment fund public investment fund and it's kind of like it, it just sort of begs the question, like, what is this for? Obviously, uh, ATP tour gets one hundred million dollars. Nice chunk of change for sure. I'm interested to see what people want them to do with that. There's going to be a lot of talk about, you know, lower level tennis and stuff. I'm sure will be the first thing, but they'll, you know, what, what they're going to do with it. The other question is, you know, what does the Saudis get out of it? And for me, it's just sort of another endorsement of Saudi Arabia and their money from a prominent, uh, you know, uh, what is the word for it? Aspirational, kind of like cool uh, sports organization and group of athletes and endorsement of Saudi Arabia being a player at this table, of sitting at the table with uh, Massimo Calabelli, I think it was in the photo, and yeah, smiling next to Saudi Arabia. And that's what it matters. And this has become such so much more commonplace 
in sports that it feels less radical by a lot or less shocking, I guess we'd say, by a lot than it would have, you know, two, three years ago, pre-live golf, uh, because there's been such a steady, steady march of various sport sporting interests, starting with golf, obviously, which was a much more confrontational situation with this sort of breakaway uh, competitor tour that they had poaching a lot of players from the PGA. Then going to getting, you know, athletes like Cristiano Ronaldo and Neymar to sign big deals for for Saudi clubs. And then, you know, this and then Rafael Nadal, even most more recently in tennis, signing on as a personal ambassador for Saudi Arabia during the Australian Open. And then, yeah, and then this, whatever this deal is. And there was also talk previously about them coming very close to having their bid win to host the WTA finals, even for last year and remaining a player for that this year. So. You know, it's. I think the sort of the sports washing to use that term has worked in the sense that it already feels cleaner or less messy than it did. Normalized, certainly. Ago. It's been normalized already. I mean, the Saudis. You know, we've been talking about Saudi Arabia before. I mean, you, you know, it's been this sort of steady step by step thing of making it more normal, of making it more normal that there is a, a tournament there. And then the question is, should it be normal? And you know, and this is where. There's so much of of reporting on mo- modern tennis that requires being a geopolitical expert in lots of. <laughs> Lots of areas, honestly. I mean, you have to kind of be convinced, which I enjoy about the job largely, that you get to kind of learn all these other things and about different cultures and politics and stuff. And, you know, you and I both politics, uh, uh, in, uh, I don't know what the word is for it. Inclined. Uh, inclined is a good word for it. It's a good neutral word for it. Yes. So, so it's interesting. So I was, you know, reading up on Saudi Arabia and where they sort of are at now. And is it, are they making steps? And, you know, I've heard people say on the, Arab side and the more positive side of it. Yes, this is, you know, creating exposure and is introducing the sport to people in Saudi Arabia. But then also, and also that Saudi, and even more, if you want to be more cynical about it, Saudi Arabia is maybe, let's say 20, this could be, this is malleable, this estimate, but 20 to 30, maybe even less at this point, years behind uh, UAE, which made these big pushes through Dubai, most prominently, and a little bit Abu Dhabi, become these big world cities and centers for people from all over the world to come congregate. And they, in order to do that, they uh, softened a lot of their rules about various things. And if it's only for cynically for sort of becoming a financial player in sort of a, a big money market. Okay. If that was the, if that was the means to the end. Uh, okay. And maybe that's what Saudi Arabia is doing too. Saudi Arabia has had, you know, some of the things that I remember, you know, hearing about Saudi Arabia as a, you know, teenager in my 20s, whatever, you know, 10, 20 years ago, was saying that, you know, the most famous thing I remember all the time hearing about them is that women couldn't drive there. That was like yeah. the main thing I remember hearing. And that they got rolled back. women couldn't drive there. Women could not drive yeah. there. Yeah. Since we're not, could not get driver's license in Saudi Arabia yeah. if you're a woman. And couldn't vote, you know, in multiple elections. I think the driver's license thing got rolled back in uh, like 2018 or 2017. Like, so around then. And so... Not too much, not too long ago, but also at this point, six years ago, they have been making changes. Women can now vote in like municipal elections. And there's still some things about can women like get divorces or something. I know some of the things people point to, but it's 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 definitely trending towards a lot of the things that were most off-putting, let's say about Saudi Arabia, for people uh, easing down. It's not perfect. You know, I, I was I mentioned, I alluded to Human Rights Watch earlier, and I did sort of check to see what the latest was on, on Saudi Arabia, and they leave with the sports interestingly, and talking about it because they know this is a very conscious thing for them to read from their website. Saudi Arabia spends billions of dollars hosting million. This is the first paragraph of their whole Saudi Arabia report. Saudi Arabia spends billions of dollars hosting major entertainment, cultural, and sporting events to deflect from the country's poor human rights record. 
Saudi Arabia has announced important reforms, but the repression of independent civil society and critical voices impedes any attempt at reform. Scores of human rights activists and dissidents are imprisoned or on trial for their peaceful criticism. Authorities failed to hold high-level officials accountable for the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, a journalist who was dismembered in, in, in Istanbul in 2018. And, and then it mentioned some stuff about the war in, in Yemen and Saudi participation in that. So, you know, and there was, yes, this person who was recently uh, sentenced to death for his, his tweets that were anti-government. This did happen in the last few months or last year or so in Saudi Arabia. So these, you know, it's it's... It's, I think it's what, you know, he used the blanket term better than it was, but it's still not there. And it's a question of how much, and, and also a question of if, you know, if sports washing is, if it should just be seen as something to stay away from because it's so clearly so cynical, or if you actually think you're getting meaningful, a meaningfully cleaner, let's say, or less messy country as a result. It's, it's a whole co- complicated calculation. And I will say tennis and I'm not for too long here, but I know you've got a, a cold or something, so I'm trying to do more of the talking here. Uh, tennis, uh, ATP, the ATP, I think the A could stand for amoral. Not immoral, but just amoral. Like, they don't care. They really do not seem to be operating on a, lo- <clears throat> excuse me, on a level where they're supposed to be the the sort of, you know, arbiters of, of, of right and wrong. And... Some people said it's fine. That's what sports is supposed to do. Some people will think that's good. It's it's a, it leaves them in a conscience of the WTA, which has increasingly foreground its history as being these pioneers, as being equal rights stuff. And so it's we'll get to the WTA, I'm sure, but where this leaves them. But yeah, but ATP, whether it's this, whether it's the Blazenis towards Zverev, they they just seem to kind of not want to engage with the tough stuff and just be like, Yep, okay, there's an offer. We'll take an offer. Sure. Yeah. Look at that money. Great. Well, and you can say it's right or wrong. I'm not even passing judgment necessarily on that, necessarily. But that seems to be pretty consistently their their MO. Well, I like that you're hacking now. I didn't know sickness could be transferred via Zoom. Uh, <laughs> but that's what we've learned in the modern era. Um, uh, that was really well laid out. Again, you hit a bunch of different things there. Let's break it down piece by piece here as we talk about this subject. First is the ATP side. Amoral is a fascinating description in the sense that, again, it's not – passing judgment on their morals one way or another. It just seems like that's not the way they want to engage. And look, the the question becomes, and you kind of brushed over this quickly, but it's a massive piece. Why would the ATP do this? What is in it for them? And if that number reported by John Wertheim is accurate, five years, $100 million, they need the cash. Like Again, it's not a, a, even a hidden secret. ATP tournaments struggle. If you're not a major, if you're not a 1,000-level event, you it requires so much effort almost just yeah. to break even as an event because between, you know, again, TV revenue, the lesser your event is, the lesser share of the pie you get. And, you know, certainly, again, you want to put butts in seats. There are a lot of tournaments that are really good at doing that, that at just, you know, look at all the South American clay court events. I don't know their financials, but there are butts in seats. Like they're doing their job there. And there are plenty of other 250s where you can point to that as well. But again, like the question I guess is, and we talk about all these aspirational things, the ATP announcing we're going to have basic incomes, you know, for all these players ranked in the top 250 and our guaranteed incomes, excuse me, uh, based on where you finish in the Mm -hmm. rankings and we want to expand opportunities like it requires money to do that. And so, again, 
that phrasing of amoral in the A and the ATP, is it the ATP's place? Like, is that what they should be doing? I guess that's the question. And I think it's up to everyone as a tennis fan to ask yourself that. Like, who am I to impose my morals upon you? You know, again, I guess that's what some listeners would love to be hearing. Um, And I guess that's like, I'm not going to hold it against you if this is a disqualifying thing in your mind for the ATP. I'm not going to hold it against you if you're still going to go about enjoying the tennis anyway. Certainly, I'm going to continue to cover it uh, despite this announcement. But that's what it comes down to. It's like the ATP needs money. And I don't know if they're in a place financially where they can afford to say no. I don't think it's that bad for the ATP. I think WTA is in more desperate well, need sure. of money. Sure. I think this is more about profit for ATP, which obviously they're a business sure. and it, you know that's their prerogative. And if they do want to have these initiatives like paying lower ranked players guaranteed income stuff, that does take money. But you, I, I'm interested that you uh, mentioned the the S- South America because I do think there's a, you know interesting kind of confluence in the schedule between these two phenomenons where like Andy Murray tweeting. You know, wouldn't it be great? And he's not, he said this like unpopular opinion, but it's actually a very popular opinion. Very popular. Like, I said that as well. Very popular. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great if South America, which is great, passionate fans, which have unreal crowds showing up for, you know, Fonseca versus Navone, yeah. you know, like, wouldn't that be amazing if, if that could be uh, 500 or, you know, 1,000 events down there or something like that? Yeah. Yes, everyone thinks so, but the, the, the tennis follows the money, right? And this is the ultimate case of that. There's never been, to my knowledge, a Saudi Arabian player flying that flag anywhere near the tour level of either tour, right? It's just not a country that's had any footprint in tennis whatsoever, but they're buying their way into the game sure. and and going to get these big events through through money. And this the Middle East, more largely, Dubai, you know, Doha, same thing. Those are not places with, with real tennis uh, heritages or cultures or certainly not producing players at these levels, those countries, but they have gotten big tournaments uh, consistently for years. Because of the money, China similarly, uh, certainly on the men's side, China has not had top men's players. Uh, really, you know, certainly when they were or not top fifty players, let's say when they started Produced, getting yeah, yeah, when, yeah. When, when they got their when they got their uh, thousand level events. Yeah. You know, early on they hosted the tour finals in Shanghai back in you know circa two thousand seven, whenever it was, it was there. So, yeah, it, it, this is it. This is how the game is played. We don't just fall, and it's a question of how much is that overall good or bad for the sport to be chasing. Sure money into non-traditional markets i think especially you know you see how much the tour uh women's tour especially with both the women's tour has really gotten away from europe in a lot of ways and shifted you know what used to be a european indoor fall swing or an and then north american fall swing too in in indoor events like philadelphia had a, had a tier two event which is like a 500 uh and la and new york used to host the year in championships that's now all outdoor events in china is that better or worse I mean, the money was clearly there. Clearly made sense on balance sheets. And for WTA, there has been payoff, if you want to call it that, in terms of having actual players produce and and seems to be a bit more sustainable. Obviously, all the trickiness with with the government and, and the volatile economy and punk shui of it all. We've covered all this before on this show and elsewhere. But yeah, I mean, it's a question of if, like, once you get that money, what do you do with it? Do you become beholden to Saudi interests? Is, sure. is is there a clause well, in this so, in this in this deal that says Saudi Arabia, for example, gets to succeed Turin as the next tour sure. championships host? Like that seems like an entirely plausible thing to be in the fine print of this, or gets like make the first bid or do something to get. And also, there's talk also about them getting you know their own Masters event in February uh, or January even to start off the year before the Australian Open, which would be I think pretty unpopular. Players, I don't think players want to start. The season anywhere but the continent of Australia if the Australian Open is remaining on the calendar where it is. So 
yeah, so it's going to see like, okay, you, you're kind of in for this $100 million, but what strings are attached? Because like I said at the beginning, what Saudi Arabia actually gets out of this on on the surface of just the naming rights to the rankings is incredibly minor. Well, so for that's... me, there must be more, there must be more uh, uh, stickiness to this contract than, well, than we're being presented. That's exactly what I wanted to know next and where I wanted to go is, again, we mentioned the five for 100. That's a lot of cash just infused to the tour right away. But the question is, what impact does this actually have on Indian Wells, on Miami? Is this Saudi Arabia saying, hey, you got to move back your events a week because we're putting our event here? Like, is that what they're trying to say? You know, again, you mentioned it. It does feel like after Turin, these ATP finals probably end up moving to Saudi Arabia where the next gen finals already are as well. It's just what what tangible changes are there? And the reason I bring that up is you hear a lot of rumors about the Super Tour. In our circles, where again, much like a live tour, there's talks that the ATP was already talking about this with the 1000s, then the slams kind of said, wait, you think you're going to leave us out of these discussions? We're the ones that stir the drink for everything else. And so, you know, this idea of the slams, the 1000s going off and doing their own thing and really making it so, all right, these 16 weeks of the year you're going to see the best players in the world. They're all going to be playing all of these weeks and then everything else, 500, 250s, challengers, et cetera. That's all just going to be feeder feeder uh, to these big, dare I say, quote unquote, super tour events. I guess that's the question is, is that sort of seismic shift on the horizon, horizon with an announcement like this? That would be the big lingering next question. Well, trivia question for you. Okay. You know what other countries' sovereign investment fund has already been sponsoring events in the U.S.? I'm going to go ahead and say who would have a sovereign investment fund? Cutter. Uh, it's, it's UAE. Okay, close. And it is – you know what it is? I'm going to say it's, ping pong. You've heard of it. No, no, no. no. Tennis. This is a tennis thing. Oh. It's a tour thing. Not WTT. That's gone. No, that's long gone. Is yeah. Right? Rest in peace. Um. Need a proper uh, obit for WTT. I feel like yeah, it kind of just uh, went into the night. It uh, is Mubadala. Oh, sure. The title. People, yeah. but, but look at that. You, it, yeah, sure. you didn't notice what you didn't know what it was, which is well, totally. I'm not saying up. that as a yeah. gotcha at all. Sure. No, I'm saying 100%. like it made. It's just like became a sponsor of this event, this the San Jose event, and they transferred over to Washington when those two events merged to become the very clunkily named. Uh, they hate it when I say that, but I'm going to keep saying it. The Mubadala Washington City Open, whatever it was sure. called, or DC City Open, uh, and. Yeah, it, that is the sovereign investment fund or a sovereign investment fund for the UAE. Yeah. And they and like when I was there at the event, they had like a booth saying, what is Mubadala? Here are some of the things that UAE is investing in. And these these countries, these these oil rich countries have so much money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they also are sensing that in 100 years, possibly oil will be less prominent, you know, and they're trying to future proof themselves for a green energy climate change kind of thing. They just hosted the the World Climate Summit thing in sure. Dubai last year, COP. So I think it's called COP, something like that. So yeah, so there's, you know, it's already been kind of unobtrusive, right? Like there's already all this Emirati, you know, theoretical influence of them buying and branding this thing, but it made no difference to us. And so I think for certain people, unless you're focused on it, unless you're going to Human Rights Watch before doing a podcast about tennis, hmm. you know, you might, things might just seem very normal. And like, okay, here's an acronym sponsored before the rankings that I don't really care about. I don't really care. Like, I mean, again, we didn't talk about Pepperstone. We no one cared about Pepperstone. And so PIF, again, which is why it being that much money for something that seems like such little tangible benefit just makes me nervous 
And then it's like, okay, but what what else is attached to this? It, it can't be that easy. The money can't be that free. And maybe it is. You know, maybe this space this is the thing we saw with with uh, golf. Um, yeah, it was a good year for oil. Is it, maybe the money is was, free. <laughs> well, th- we saw with golf is the money was so absurd. Yeah. I mean, like John Rahm getting offered like what, like I think five hundred million dollars for yeah. one guy. No, I think switch over. John Stewart not even that biggest star. John Stewart did a joke that every year Saudi Arabia gives two hundred million to Palestinian refugees. They also gave two hundred million to Phil Mickelson in the same right. year. So, like, yeah. No, exactly. And so, but say so if those kind. I mean. Novak Djokovic is the all-time leader in career prize money in tennis by a lot, and he's at 180 million. You know, John Rahm got almost like three times yeah. what 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 Djokovic has earned on court in his career. So, so that's pretty pretty nuts to me. And we'll just see. But the money right now is not not brain breaking. The tennis money. We don't know how much money Rafa got uh, sure. for. His, there's not been a public figure of that, but I imagine it's healthy. I imagine at least I imagine at least eight figures. Yeah. I have to think so. For him to do that, and then yeah, we see this uh, this other thing with the 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 six we haven't mentioned the six kings exo, which got event announced a while ago. It's gonna be held in October. Weirdly, no specific dates announced yet, which I thought was very strange. They didn't announce specific dates for this event. Who does that for an exhibition event? Just like the month, but there the prize money for that is reported to be like for the winner, and it's gonna be like a cash tournament with actual escalating prize money, like seven million dollars yeah, or something for the winner sure. at this tournament. For a Back six to our roots. Six Kings event. Which Someone call is, Pancho Gonzalez. Like we're getting the real EXO matches back. But this is to me though that is scary. People talk a lot. No, you're hundred percent. No, no, I'm going to go maybe a different way than you think. People talk a lot about the lower rank guys making money. Yeah. This shows how underpaid the top guys are. Yannick Sinner sure. only got and Sabalenka equal prize money. Yannick Sinner only got like two point five million US for winning the Australian Open. I'm sorry, that is so underpaid for winning a Grand Slam in 2023, 2024. I know that we are supposed to be talking about all the little guys breaking even whatever, but these top guys are making all their money in 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 endorsements, but not get they're getting underpaid by these slams. Tennis Australia is holding up for how much money a final of a Grand Slam brings to you. You're only paying the winner two point something million when they're getting seven million to go be a king for three days in Saudi Arabia. I mean, what are we, what are we doing here? Like well, that's it, for how much money that for, for all the talk about uh, tennis, I'll show you, I'll show up and breaking a, a million people through the gates. Come on. Well, this is the why this Center. topic deserves its own podcast is you take it so many different directions is yeah. ultimately, what do we want the sport to look like? Do we need 500 players, a thousand players in the rankings? Should the sport be curtailed at Look, like, if you're top 300, you're making a real living, but you need to be top 300 to make a living, and that's really the only spots we're going to guarantee. What do we want out of the sport is such a big, big picture question, and, and again, and, it's in the eye of the beholder, but something like this, absolutely, that's why it's such a big story. It's not that because it was unexpected, as we alluded to at the start. It's because you just have to think with this degree of money, something's changing. So like the, it's just you don't get a hundred million dollars for free, no matter where you are. And you're just curious, what is the structural change that feels like it has to be the next piece to this sort of investment? Is it a super tour? Is it again a more top centric driven tour? Not that it's not top centric driven already, but you know, again, 
are are 250s more qualifiers for the big events now as opposed to you know their formal roles as these independent events the problem is what does that do for 250s if it's not guaranteed that you're going to get a big player in your draw and how does that impact everything how do those events have any chance of surviving if they're not going to be able to have access to top 10 or top 15 players in their draws who will be reserved to the 16 weeks of the super tour like it's a fascinating dynamic. And by the way, that's only ATP. And this is the next part I wanted to ask you, last two things here. Does this make it easier for the WTA to just say, I'm sorry, Martina, I'm sorry, Chrissy, but we have to do this. Like just from a cash infusion perspective, we kind of mentioned this already, but you know, the WTA cut out China and obviously they had planned to make a huge or China had planned to make a huge investment in the sport. It was something the WTA certainly was looking forward to benefiting from. Obviously, circumstances change. You can completely understand why the WTA divested from that China connection, uh, given everything that happened to Peng Shui. But like the question is now, five for 100 is something the WTA just needs. Like That's, that's an automatic yes. I just wonder yeah. how much quicker we are to seeing it. Well, I think in terms of what the has got out of it, I think – the pro- which makes me again just more suspicious, or just as a sort of yeah. person who tries to be remotely street smart in my life. <laughs> if, if if the deal if the deal just seems too good to be true, it's really the photo of the Saudi guy sitting next to the ATP guy worth this much money to them? Is that all it is? Is it just one tennis more isn't collect- that cool? Like I just feel like one, the answer to that question has but, to be. But no. it is. I mean, the ATP logo. I mean, obviously they're going to put that. Calvelli isn't that cool, sure. but like if you can use, sure. but if then you buy the rights to images of any tour player you want to cycle sure. through Saudi PR, and Saudi has these huge PR firms yeah. uh, that they hire for, for PR, you know, na- international PR firms to sure. bolster the image publicly. Clearly, they were saying this is a good investment, um, and so that makes me just wonder, sort of like, are you getting used? Answer: I think almost certainly yes, if you're tennis. But then the question is, is it worth it? Is this your price? Yes, and then and then so yes, and then it also goes to the Saudis. Do the Saudis have any? degree of earmarking on this money they get to say what the money gets used for if i'm the saudis honestly why do i care about players ranked outside the top 200 why would i want my money if i if i do have earmarks on this and do get to see where it goes why would i care about that and it's got a good question i mean it's pivot to the women but tennis gets kind of caught up between this is more an issue for the women between being a business and being like a movement and this is a big thing in women's sports all the times so are you are you about uh, being a business or about being like a cause? And women's sports, a lot of times, gets, get, is both a lot of times. It's about doing this thing, projecting things for women, women's rights, women's equality, women's visibility, all the sorts of things that women's sports, which are which are not, I'm not against any of that. I think that it's a it's a noble thing and a worthwhile thing and 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 can be a good start. But also there's a business reality, right? And so for tennis gets caught up in this too, where it's like, oh my gosh, we should have players who ranked 300 making a living. But the business, they're not actually bringing anything to the sport in terms of profits at the door. On any balance sheet of a normal company, they would be cut or they would just not be seen as, as a priority for what actually is driving the gates of the sport. And so you're, then you're making a choice to be more, for lack of a better word, socialist or something and including more people who get along for the ride. And 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 is that something you want to do? Like, OK, if that's your priority, sure. But it's also just a weird motive for a pro sport to be about job creation. That's never really been the point of, of pro sports. It's not about job creation. So that brings me to the women who are in this situation where they are in a rough spot because, I mean, 
you simplify China a bit. China was more than just Peng Shui happening. China had zero COVID things happening, which restricted it at first. Peng Shui happened as well. But then the main reason that the China, the Shenzhen deal, which was this 10-year deal for, I think, $140 million, something like that, was huge, at least in prize money, $14 million in prize money a year in Shenzhen for the tour finals, promised for 10 years. They only got one year out of it in the end, which is a huge disaster. And that was also partially because the Chinese... Uh, real estate market was tanking. All these other investments in China were not going well. The Chinese economy has been kind of all over the place. And that was as much a reason in 2023 for that deal falling apart mid-year and WTA left scrambling and winding up in Cancun having it be a disaster. Amid all of this, the WTA makes the noble, but kind of strange and even stranger in retrospect to this announcement pledge, they're going to have equal prize money with the men by 2027. Okay, this is a weird target for several reasons, most of which because you're pledging equal to the men and you don't know what the men are doing. The men are out here signing $100 million from from Saudi Arabia and the women have to keep up with that. How? They're so far behind already and their men are leaving them further in the dust. And so does Saudi Arabia want to come in? I mean, Saudi Arabia, this is a good deal for Saudi Arabia. I'm pitching this. Saudi Arabia (laughs) can come in and say, we Saudi Arabia are going to pledge all the money it takes to get the women's prize money equal to the men's across the tour. Which is literally what they are trying to do is it is a, a message like that with this public investment. Fund. Right. Like you so feel like that like is the cynic, strike zone. Cynically, like, again, and that is, and that's why, you know. Um, no, we're playing some that, game theory here. I like it. If Right. But that, would that be good, though? If Saturday, could come say, you're going to be the company. And this is something that, that equals prize money in this by sport. Other, by other sponsors. Oh, yeah. If Saudi Arabia says, 100%. there's the pay gap, we're going to make women equal. Yeah. Like, that is. To me, and they have the like, money to actually, do it. If they have the money to do it. That's that's that's, that's one year of John Rahm right there. That That's nothing for them. So, yes, yeah, so the money the money they have is goofy. And that would be actually, that's, I mean, I've gamed this out. I hadn't thought of that before this started talking. But that is actually. Best case scenario for Saudi Arabia and for women's tennis. And the women, you know, you mentioned Christine Martina, who published this editorial against it. They, from what my understanding is, are not representing the active players on tour, partially because Christine Martina bluntly don't stand to make any money from this. Sure. If they were still on tour and still seeing themselves getting outpaced by the men, and so it's possible huge cash infusion coming down the road with Saudi Arabia, women are are for this. As as most tennis players are, you know, are always for more money. They have a short earning window in their lives as peak athletes. You know, most tennis players, uh, you know, are not making much money in their 30s and 40s compared to what they're making in their 20s. And that's unusual for your average adult. So, yeah, so I I understand that they're not reluctant about it. And they've also had meetings with uh, some some female politician or prince or royal or something from from Saudi Arabia who's like met with the women's players, has gone and talked to them. and, And they've been very persuaded by her, I've heard. Uh, in these clo- in these sort of meetings that she's given to WTA as a group, so the players, from what I hear, have not that many misgivings of active players. But yeah, it's a question of this pledge. Which again, I thought was we talked about it on NCR at the time, at least pegging yourself to an unknown in the future, just weird move, and you don't know what the men are going to do, and the men will not slow down for you. The men will not drag their feet and slow down their prize increases to make sure the women can catch up. That's yeah. not how they roll. No. So the, the men actually. Did the opposite when WTA announced fourteen million dollars a year uh, for Shenzhen. Wen went out and found fourteen point five million a year for Turin just to one up the women, just so they were still ahead. So, yeah, I I I don't know what it's going to take in order uh, for that to be finalized, but I would expect the WTA and Saudi Arabia will announce a deal in the next few months. I imagine at this point, with no other news, that the tour finals will end up there. Will there be some defections? Will some people in the WTA? 
staff organization would ever say, or even some players say, like, I'm not cool with this. Obviously, we haven't mentioned the, the anti-gay stuff has been talked about a bunch. Uh, and obviously, there's uh, several openly openly gay players in women's tennis, including Daria Kasakana, most famously, prominently now, traveling and vlogging with her her girlfriend. Yeah, what do they do uh, with that? And and have, have those concerns all been been appeased? It seems like yes. It, I think they have addressed the that they've assured Kasakana things would be fine, but is that that is her very much sort of sports washing on her own bluntly if she shows up there and saying, hey, yes, it's cool for LGBT folks to be in Saudi Arabia, but she's getting this very treatment that's not corresponding with what it's like for people actually on the ground living their lives there. So yeah. yeah. No, it's really well said. And again, that leads to the final piece, which is the moral conundrum, which we've alluded to. And again, to each their own. It's it's really tough. There'll be Plenty of people who hear even the exploration of this topic and say, who are you to impose your morals on what I believe or all these different things? And is it sports place? Should the WTA, should the ATP have an eye on whom they are engaging with in the sport? On the other end, as we've kind of alluded to, if you're a fan of this sport, shouldn't you be rooting for some certainty uh, and some consolidation of the sport's future, an investment of cash that seems to engage certainly that the sport will be in a healthier place moving forward. Like that is the conundrum we all face. And that's where I want to, uh, you know, wrap this show, Ben Rothenberg, your thought. Can I push on back that on that central. for a bit? Please. I, it's more essentially, and this is something I think people talk about good for tennis, like, sure. like analysts, like, or fans. Yeah. And it, it, what, what makes the ATP richer is not necessarily good for fans. Uh, I, I think I, those, are di- those, are, those are different pursuits. Like, and uh, bigger, better, it's not always good for fans. Like, well, I think they're like, like, the Austra- like, like, for example, the, the, the Australian. Well, I think they're at odds at times because the Australian Open, like, you don't, it's it's a balance because you don't want your sure. local tournament folding. Yeah. You don't want that. At the same time, the Australian Open having a million people through the gates, who does that help? It just makes things, if you're a fan there, it makes it more crowded. Yeah. Do you need an extra 300,000 people there alongside you if you were a tennis fan? Do you need and this? Is goes to a different kind of conversation. Do you need Breakpoint growing the sport, or, this, or was the sport just fine when it was just you and your buddies watching it? You need casuals showing up. As a fan, you can be selfish about it, right? I just I think there's competing interests here in saying that bigger, richer is better for. There's no trickle down. <laughs> fans, sure. fans aren't getting a cut of this money. Journalists aren't getting a cut of this money. It, it helps certain people, but not others. And I think you can kind of identify. I think it's easy to get caught up in, oh, if it's good for the the you know goose gander or whatever i i just think that sometimes we we don't have to celebrate a big dollar amount that's going zero to us showing up and maybe you know maybe on some level it is if it, if it drives money in the sport and if you if you get you know great broadcast deals from some of those money that trickles down to you i applaud that hugely just a solid five percent of the hundred million should be plenty for you um <laughs> Well, yeah, you said yeah, it I, as I, you get into I, your 30s that you start to make a little bit more. So, um, yeah, yeah. So, we'll see how it how it goes. I'm just saying, like, bigger is not always better for fans, no. uh-huh. I mean, right? Like, once we got once we got to the point where every match was streamed, that was kind of as big as it needed to get for yeah. fans. And then everything else is kind of debatable. Well, again, that's what's so fascinating is it feels like there's a next step coming, and that next step is certainly going to impact some fans. I do want you to know, as of this recording, Thursday, February 29th, I'm showing you a photo. What does that say on the ATP rankings, Ben? PIF. It's the PIFs are out. 
the public investment fund. Out is Pepperstone. In is the public investment fund. They are now the PIF rankings. Ben, let's go check out the PIFs for your update on where these no, players ACT stand. rankings. I'm not engaging. I, I never use sponsor names. Like, you say the Hologic WTA Tour when you're on this show. No, you don't. Uh, every so, time. I only refer yeah. to it with its full sponsor because um, you yeah. got to wet that beak, baby. Um, yeah. Daddy needs his cut. Um, now, all that said, again, where this story goes from here, it's something we all need to continue to monitor. As It's massive news. The Saudi Arabia's public investment fund investing into the ATP tour. Is the WTA next? What changes are on the horizon? We will continue to find out in the future. And when we do, we will certainly ask Ben Rothenberg to join us on this show once again. In the meantime, Ben, any things you need to plug before you go? No. Hopefully people can, can I'll plug the book again. Sure. And thank you for, for having me on here. Uh, Naomi Osaka, her path to finding her voice and her power. I said it out of order, I know, but nevertheless, you'll find it Close where you're up. looking Close for it. By the way, you can hear him on the No Challenges Remaining podcast as well. Ben Rothenberg, be safe, be healthy, go blue. It is always a pleasure to see you, my friend. Thanks, Alex. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with our dear friend and, dare I say, a legend of the tennis media game, Ben Rothenberg, who I always appreciate when he takes the time to not only join me on the podcast, but sincerely, I pester him more than I have any right to do, and he is always so kind with his time, so receptive to any questions I may have. Sincerely, a voice I trust so thoroughly, and I'm grateful for his friendship, grateful for him taking the time to join us once again today. It is always an entertaining conversation uh, when I get the chance to chat with Ben on or off mic. And again, as I alluded to in the intro, I'm hoping this is one of two podcasts on the day. If you don't have a second podcast, it's not because I've lost interest. It's because I am a bit under the weather, and again, I am feeling right. Right now, well enough, I feel like a midday nap will get me over the hump I need to be back on this podcast later to talk all things happening this week on court in the pro tennis world. But if you're looking for more content in the meantime, you want to hear an update on everything happening in the college tennis universe, head on over to our Great Shot podcast feed, some fantastic interviews talking 2024 Arizona Tennis Classic available on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed, as well as my conversation with rising American Patrick Kipson. A shout out, as always, to the support we get from all of you listeners, from our friends at Tennis Point, and of course, from our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. With all that said, though, for our fantastic guest, Ben Rothenberg, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. And hopefully, we will talk to you all later today. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>